The following audio is from Pathway Community Church. More information about Pathway Community Church is available at www.pathwaycommunity-church.org. So we're uh, looking at the prophet Elijah, and James chapter 5 says that Elijah was a man, was a human being just like us. It's good to remember that because as we look at some of these stories, we see some pretty amazing things that Elijah does, right, through, through different prayers and, and the way God works and moves. And, and it's like, wow, it's good to remember that Elijah is just like us. And we want to learn from his life how to trust God through the, the, the victories and the defeats. And last week, man, last week was one of the pinnacle moments in the story of Elijah. If you were with us, we had an outdoor worship gathering and, and we saw the showdown at Mount Carmel. Right? That was a good, good story. And uh, just in case you forgot, the prophets of Baal, right? They're worshiping Baal. And, and so God said, let's bring all the people together, the prophets of Baal, and let's have them try to call on Baal and see if he can bring down fire. And, and then, Elijah, I want you to come and pour water on the altar and bring the sacrifice. And then you cry out to me, and I'm going to bring down fire. And, man, God brought the fire. And then he brought the rain. To show that he alone is the one true God. And then they destroy the prophets of Baal. And then, man, what a victory. But, but today we're going to see a different side of Elijah. Today we're going to see Elijah in the valley. He comes off this mountaintop experience where he has this great spiritual victory. And now we're going to see Elijah and he is exhausted. He's physically exhausted, he's spiritually tired and exhausted, and he is discouraged spiritually. And what we're going to discover in this passage is that when you and I face great discouragements, listen, when you and I face great discouragements, God's grace is greater still. And we're going to see that in this passage this morning, and that... That's encouraging for me because if you're here with us this morning and you're facing discouragement, you're tired, if, if you're just feeling like, man, I'm losing heart and following Jesus, I'm exhausted spiritually, I'm, I'm burnt out, whatever it might be, listen, wherever you're at, God's grace is greater still. And so look at First uh, Kings 19. That's where we're going to spend our time in verses 1 through 18. And normally in the narrative, in the story, I would just tell you the story instead of reading it. But today I'm going to do it a bit differently. We're going to read these verses, and then I'm going to just come back and show you uh, what's going on in these passages and point out some things. And so I'm just going to read verses 1 through 18. And so if you would, just listen to the story. Mount Carmel showdown's just finished, and, and God's just shown himself to be amazing and the prophets of Baal have been slaughtered, and, and rain has now come to the land. And here, here's what we find in chapter 19. King Ahab told Jezebel, his wife, all that Elijah had done and how he'd killed all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Like, like she's put a death threat out on his head. She wants to kill Elijah. And he was afraid. 
He rose and he ran for his life and he went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. And he himself went another day journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, it is enough. You ever felt that? It's enough. I've had enough. For I'm no better than my father's. And he lay down and he slept under the broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said, Arise and eat. And behold, there is at his head a cake baked on hot stones, a jar of water. He ate and drank, and he lays down again. And then the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is going to be great for you. And so he rose, he ate and drank, and then he went in the strength of that food. And for 40 days and 40 nights he went, and then he went to Horeb, the mountain of God. He came to a cave there, he lodged in it, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said, the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel forsaken your covenant, and they've thrown down your altars, they've killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I, am the only one left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go and and stand on the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, And a great strong wind tore the mountains and broke it in pieces, the rocks that were before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake came, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and he stood at the entrance to the cave. Behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord to God a host for the people of Israel, forsaken your covenant and thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I only I am left and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel to be king over Syria and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Maholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Haziel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha, shall put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel and all the knees of those that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. The word of the Lord. So in this passage, in this story this morning, we see two things, right? We see the downward path of spiritual discouragement. We're going to look at that in a moment. And then we also see the upward path of God's grace. And so we're going to look at both of those this morning because I want you to know that when you face great discouragement, God's grace is greater still. And so the downward path of spiritual discouragement, there's four markers on the downward path to spiritual discouragement. And I just want you to listen to these and pay attention to these because maybe you're experiencing some of these yourself this morning. And so let's look at them. First of all, we see the personal attack against Elijah. The showdown at Mount Carmel, it's done. It's over. That was a great moment, a great victory. 
God shows clearly that he is the one true God. But notice now what happens next. King Ahab, he tells his wife, Queen Jezebel, here's what happened and how Elijah killed the 400 prophet, 450 prophets of Baal. And, and Jezebel is irate. She's out of her mind. And so she's like, i got to kill this man. I'm going to kill him. And so she sends, sends someone to go kill him and hunt him down and says, by tomorrow, if, if you're not dead, then I'll be dead. Elijah's life is threatened. He's personally attacked. Now listen, I've never had anyone put a death threat out of my life, thankfully. But I know what it's like to be attacked personally. I know what it's like to have someone attack me with their words. I know what it's like for someone to attack me with their actions. It hurts. I know, I know what it's like to be slandered against and have someone say something against me that's not true. It hurts. I know what it's like when someone gossips about me and says things about me that aren't true and, and spreads rumors. And I mean, man, those things hurt. In fact, they cut deeply. That's why Jesus says if, if you have even just anger in your heart, hatred in your heart towards someone, it's just like killing them. Right? Because words hurt. Maybe you've had someone speak a hurtful word against you. Maybe you've had someone say something that's not true about you or say, spread rumors about you and slander against you or against your family. And it's like, man, don't those hurt? How we respond to those things will determine whether we move further down the path of discouragement or not. The Lord invites us when, when we are hurt, when we are attacked, when, when people say things that aren't true against us, the Lord invites us to, to give those things to Him, to say, listen, will you, will you give me those things and allow me to, to bring about the work that I have in their life and, and to bring about vengeance if I need to and justice, but, but will you give those things to me and trust me and then you're free to be able to love and forgive. But that's not an easy thing to do, is it? The Lord, He invites us to give those to us. He, he's the one that fights our battles. He's the one who who's the, gives us the victory. And Elijah, he just saw that happen. He just saw God bring fire from heaven. And he's like, certainly he can, he can be his protector and defender against evil Queen Jezebel. Certainly he can do that. But Elijah forgot. And so he runs out of fear. We're going to see that in a moment. But, but when you're hurt, when you're attacked... And you nurse that, and you and you wallow in that, and, and, and you stew on that. It leads to spiritual discouragement. And so that's the first marker on the path to spiritual discouragement is this personal attack. But here's the second thing that's, that's there. It's not as evident in the text, but it's disappointment with God. Have you ever been disappointed with God? Now, now, we don't read this explicitly here, but, but I think it's safe to assume that because of what happened at Mount Carmel and the prayer that Elijah prayed, that, that he's expecting revival to come to Israel, right? If you go back and look at 1 Kings 18 at the prayer there that Elijah prayed on Mount Carmel, he prays for God as he's at the altar and he's praying, God, send fire from heaven, like bring fire and, and consume this and show that you're the one true God and turn the hearts of the people back to you. That was his prayer. 
And sure enough, what does God do? God brings it, right? He brings fire from heaven. And it comes and consumes the altar. And, and I'm like, Elijah's like, man, look what God did. He answered my prayer. I mean, I'm thinking he's like, yeah, now God's going to turn their hearts back. I know he's going to do that. And, and then all of a sudden, it's like, but, but, but now the people he thought were going to turn back to him are trying to kill him. Like, God, what did you do? God, I expected you to do this. I prayed for this and you answered this. Why didn't you answer this? Sometimes we have expectations of God, don't we? Maybe you you don't, I do. Have you ever had unmet expectations? Maybe about what God's going to do in your life or in your family. Expectations about what he's going to do in the church. Expectations about what he's going to do in a relationship with your kids, with your spouse. You expect God is going to do something. You, you pray and maybe you see God answer something over here and you're like, God, I expect this. I need this. I, I want this. I deserve this. And what do you do when God doesn't meet your expectations? That's disappointing, isn't it? It's disappointing. I can tell you, listen, as a pastor, I have had some disappointments like this. I've prayed like, man, I'll, I'll prepare a message just like today, right? Like, I'm like, man, we got some, we got a word from God today. People need to hear today. And I'll, I'll, I'll pray about it. And I'll, I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And I'll be going into a Sunday and I'm like, man, I just know today there's going to be people that's going to flood to the altar and they're just going to come forward in repentance and they're just going to get baptized. And man, we're going to see people saved today. And I'm like, man, this is going to be it. And then I'll come out here and I'll preach my heart out and I'll give them what God's given. And, and then like, Nothing. And sometimes I can get discouraged. Because I have expectations that God's going to work and move in a way that maybe that's not how God's planning to work that day. Because, you know, God's ways are not our ways. And God's higher than us, and he has a purpose and plan for things. It doesn't mean God's not working and he's not moving, but, but, but sometimes I can put my expectations onto God and expect him to do things, and then when he doesn't come through, then I get upset with God, and then that leads me to like, man, I'm not sure I can go there again. I'm not sure I can pray to him or trust him to do it next time. Spiritual discouragement comes from disappointment with God, unmet expectations. Do you have any of those today with God? Personal attack, disappointment with God. Here's the third marker on the pathway to spiritual discouragement. It's isolation from community. See, up to this point, Elijah has been obeying God. God tells him to go, and he goes. God says, I want you to to go into the wilderness. I'm going to provide for you. Ravens are going to feed you there. He goes and God provides. God says, I want you to go to Zarephath and there's a widow and she's going to provide for you there. And he goes and he obeys. And God says, go and he obeys. God says, stay, he stays. God says, go, he obeys. Like that's a good pattern to live by, right? But here Jezebel threatens, threatens his life. And, and so instead of saying, okay, God, what do you want me to do? God, what do you have for me today? I mean, she's going to kill me. I know you just sent the fire. I mean, you can, you can protect me, but man, I'm scared. I mean, it's not denying how he feels, but it's saying, God, what do you want me to do? But instead, he reacts in fear, his own fear. And he leaves. He runs south. Now, 
the word from the Lord says he sets off to Beersheba. you got to know that he is in northern Israel. He is at the top of Israel, and Beersheba is at the bottom of Judah. So he goes the entire length of the state of Israel, the nation of Israel. He goes from top to bottom to run out of fear for his life. Like Jonah, God says, go this way. Jonah says, no, I'm going the other way. But then, not only that, he gets to Beersheba, the bottom of Judah, and then he leaves his servant who's been with him, and he says, hey, you know what? Like, I'm going, I'm going further. And he leaves his servant there, and he goes off another day into the Judean wilderness to be by himself, to sit under a broom tree, like in the middle of a desert, he finds a shade tree, and he sits there, and he's like, man, I want to die now. Fear always causes us to withdraw from community. Listen to me on this. Fear always causes us to withdraw from community. Fear of being found out. Fear of being known. Fear of rejection. Fear of what are people going to think if they know the truth about me. Fear of, you know, whatever it might be. Fear, shame of my past sins and the fear of that, you know, if that's, if that's known, if people really knew me, how will they treat me? Will they really accept me? Fear always causes us to withdraw from community. Maybe it's fears of disappointment, like, man, if, if, I'm, if I go and get close to somebody and then they, they, they leave or they don't, get, man, then that's going to hurt. And so fear led Elijah to withdraw and to go and to sit under this tree and just say, then then I've had enough. Might as well die. Can I just go out on a limb this morning and I just... Honestly, one of my biggest concerns about COVID and and what we're facing right now is... is, and, And listen, I know there's real fear around this. I'm not trying to minimize the fear at all. But my concern is that out of fear that we isolate and withdraw to the point that we are no longer in community and it really affects us spiritually. Listen, I'm not saying this to make you feel bad if you're at home today. Please hear me. There's, There's legitimate reasons, health concerns, to be at home, right? For people that have at risk. But, But I just... Make sure it, it's not out of fear, but it's out of faith because God said so. And, and, and so you're doing it because of faith, not fear. Right? We live by... The markers of spiritual discouragement. Personal attacks. Disappointment with God. Isolation, pulling away, withdrawing from community, not being in fellowship with community. Here's the fourth one is, is self-deception. Now, notice in the story he goes, Elijah goes a day's journey into the wilderness by himself. I've already mentioned he finds a broom tree. So here it is. It's hot. There's no, no place to get shade except for this broom tree that's grown up and it's got some branches and, and some foliage. And so he's under this and he just sits down there and he, and he lays down there. And then he's like, man, I, I'm just, I'm done. I'm done. Right? I've had enough, God. Have you ever been to that point in your life? Like, I've had enough. I've had enough, God. 
Like, I'm done. I'm finished. I mean, I'm like, like you know, he's, he's lost heart. Man, that's a, that's a dangerous place to be. It's like, wow. I mean, Scripture says not to, not to stop doing good and, and not to grow weary in doing good and lose heart. He's lost heart. He's done with it. And then he says something here that's very revealing. He says, oh, Lord, take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. Now, let's underline that if you have a Bible and you, or, you know, highlight it in your, in your app. But he's referring to the patriarchs. Who are the patriarchs? The ones who God called to start Israel as a nation. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, right? Those are the fathers, And he's like, I'm no better than them. Like, evidently, what's been going on in Elijah's mind since God called him to be a prophet is he's starting to compare himself to these patriarchs. Man, they were somebody, right? They started this whole thing. And and he's now, like, comparing to them and, and, like, evaluating him. Like, you know, God's called him to be a prophet at this time in this place. And he's like, yeah, but I, I can preach better than Abraham can preach. Man, I have faith better than Isaac had faith. Like, he's got this comparison thing going on, and now he's in this, this point, though, where he's low and he's down, and he's like, yeah, I'm no better than them, I guess. See, I think what's going on is he's comparing, right? And when you compare yourself to other people, then, then that's always a losing battle. Right, I, I can relate to this as a pastor again. I mean, I, I like, like this is just message for me today, so just you can just listen in, right? Um, it's so easy as a pastor to look at other churches. It's so easy to compare. Man, you know, I, like I can do it better than him or I can do it better than them and, you know, look at our church. But then, you know, what happens in that game is like you never, you're always looking and there's always somebody better and you're never going to be better than everybody. And so it's always discouraging. Maybe you've done this before. Maybe you've looked at other people's lives and you've thought, man, my, my life... My life's just not as good as theirs. My marriage is not as good as theirs. My kids are not. I mean, you know, like we can play this comparison game and we just like start to feel bad about ourselves. And it's like, wow. That's where Elijah's at. You know, and we start comparing and, and we start making judgments and we start looking down on others or thinking we're better than or they're, they're better than. I mean, like that's, that's self-righteousness. Can, can we just say that self-righteousness? And, and here's how that works, right? You know a filing cabinet, right? You got a filing cabinet and you got a drawer that's like this is a certain, you know, category of stuff in this. Fi- so, so in the, fi- the file drawer, is ca- the file folder in that file drawer is called self-righteousness. The, the file drawer that self-righteousness is in is called pride. See, pride is what causes us to compare. Pride is what causes us to make judgments about other people and, and in comparison to ourselves. And, and that's what's going on here. There's this self-righteousness that's grown up in Elijah, and, and, and he's thinking of himself more highly, and he's been viewing others and looking down on them. And, and, and pride blinds us to our own self-awareness. Like when you have pride and self-righteousness, you can't see clearly what's really going on in your heart. It's very dangerous. Because you think you got it figured out and you can see clearly and it's like, wait a second, I got, I, I, 
I really have pride and self-righteousness. I mean, I've been there. I understand that pride can blind you to self-awareness. Notice, notice what else, though, is pride also leads him, and this is later on in the text we see, to self-pity. Right When he finally gets to Mount Horeb, and we're going to look at that in a minute, but he gets to Mount Horeb, and he's there at Mount Horeb, and, and God says, what are you doing here? Like, like why are you here? And, and, and then he responds, right? He says, all Israel has forsaken your covenant. Not true. Yes, most of Israel, but not all Israel, right? And, and destroyed your altar. Well, he just repaired the altar last you know, at Mount Carmel, right? He's, he's like, he fixed it. It's like, the old, okay, and, and they're all out to kill me. Well, not all Israel's out to kill you. It's actually Queen Jezebel who's out to kill you, right? He's got like these half-truths he's believing, and, and he's like, all Israel's turned from you, God. God's going to tell him, like, no, not everybody's turned from me. But see, here's what happens with self-pity, right? Because of our pride, then we, we become self-deceived and we start to, to view things from this lens. It's like, man, everybody's against me. Everybody's against me. Oh, life is so bad and it's so hard and it's so... Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's in a hard spot. I'm not minimizing that. But do you see the self-pity that can creep in when you're self-deceived because of pride? And you start to like feel like a victim, like everybody's out to get me and they're all against me. And I just want to use Eeyore's voice at this point. You know, can I just, wah, wah, wah. Like, oh, poor me. We do this. We do this. We do this. Following Jesus is hard. And we're in a spiritual battle. And this battle is hard at times. And we face attacks. We face unmet expectations and we're tempted to withdraw and to give up. I mean, just this past week, I heard about a pastor in uh, part of Converge that we're with that just last Sunday, without anybody knowing about it, he got up front and he just said, you know what, I'm resigning today and I'm done and I'm not going to be in ministry anymore. And it's not because of my marriage. It's not because of some, you know, affair or some kind of pornography thing. I'm just done. He lost heart. I wonder how many times people miss the harvest that God has because they give up and they lose heart. I'm praying for this, God, for you to work. I'm praying for you to move in this situation or this relationship. I'm praying. It's just like it's so hard and it's going on so long and I just lose heart and I give up and we miss what God has. See, that's the downward path of spiritual discouragement. It's not a fun place to be. I've been there. I've been there. About four years ago, I was at a place in ministry where you know my wife Jennifer had uh, been diagnosed with uh, rare lung disease. She was sick. My daughter Maddie was going through some some severe pain and we couldn't figure out the answers to it. And she was in bed every day in severe pain and the doctors had no answers. 
On top of that, we've been looking for a place, a building. We've been like, you know, God, we're ready. We need a place. We need a place. People are leaving the church because we don't have a place yet. Like, God, certainly you, you want this. Certainly, God. I mean, you know, like, talk about unmet expectations. Man, it was hard. And I was discouraged. I mean, some of you know this, and, and the elders definitely know this. They were kind enough to let me have a sabbatical, and we went away, and the Lord just used that to begin to, to refresh my soul and to, and, and to reset the joy. But man, in the middle of spiritual discouragement, it is not pleasant. That's where Elijah's at today. That's where some of you are at today. But here's the good news, right? When you face great discouragement... God's grace is greater still. See, we've looked at the downward path of discouragement. Now, let's, can we look at the upward path of God's grace? How about some, some encouragement today, right? I mean, like, wow, finally we get to the good news. Uh, but let's see the upward path of God's grace. Because, listen, God's grace is not dependent upon you saying, hey, I've, I've gotten myself kind of, whoop, I'm, I'm good, God, now I can receive. No, Elijah is at the bottom. And God comes to him and meets him again and again. We're going to see here three pictures, three means of God's grace that he reveals to Elijah. And he wants to reveal to you and to me today to encourage you and to refresh you. First, God provides bread in the wilderness. Look, his first response to Elijah wasn't to rebuke him. Right? I mean, that, that would probably be our first response. Well, maybe not yours, but maybe mine, right? You know, like, look, you've gone here and you didn't pray and you're way down here and you've isolated and withdrawn from community and you're ready to kill yourself. You've lost heart. You know, like, man, you are a mess. Like, get up and get it together. But not God. That's not God. That's not our God. He sends an angel who, who nudges him when he's sleeping under the broom tree. He says, wake up, wake up, wake up. He's got this, this hot coals that he's made this cake of bread that's sitting there. And, and he's got a jar of water. It's like, you know, here, eat, eat. You're, you're, you just need food. And he feeds him. And he eats, and, he, and he's refreshed physically, and then he goes back to sleep and rests some more, and then does it again. The angel comes and says, wake up, wake up, and, and he has more food for him, he's hot cake and water again, and he eats again, and he's refreshed. Can I just say, sometimes what we need is just a good meal to eat right. And to be refreshed physically and to get a good night of sleep. Now, this might sound like, wow, I mean, that's so, that's so spiritual. <laughs> I mean, do you see this in the text? I mean, can, can we agree it's in here? But when you're discouraged, here's what happens. When you're discouraged, you don't eat right. When you're depressed, you like eat junk food and you eat nasty stuff and you eat stuff that's like, well, it feels good, but it's nasty. And you don't sleep well when you're discouraged. 
The Lord's saying, listen, I'm here to provide what you need each day. God is our provider to give us what we need, a, a meal, a healthy meal, a good meal for us, a good night of rest. Like, like that's just a place to start today if you're in a, in a place of discouragement. Just say, man, God, would you just help me to eat a good meal and to get a good night's sleep? But, but, but then also, listen, not just physically does he nourish us, right? I, I mean, he nourishes us spiritually with the word. Jesus, Jesus came and he said, I am the bread of life. And Jesus wants to nourish us spiritually. He wants, a, he wants us to be satisfied spiritually. And so he's like, would you, would you depend upon my word? Would you come to me and depend upon my word and, and find nourishment for your soul? So that when you're in a hard place, in a difficult place, you can, you can live on that. And you know that you've got that nourishment. God provides bread in the wilderness. The upward path of God's grace. Second, we see here God provides a gentle voice. I mean, he's been refreshed by the food, right? He sets out on this 40-day journey. I I think what's going on is, you know, okay, let's eat. Let's be refreshed so you can head back north and go back home where you're supposed to be. Like, that's, that's how the story's supposed to go here. But he goes further south to a place called Mount Horeb, which, if you know your Bible, is the place where Moses met God on Mount Horeb to receive the Ten Commandments, to receive the law, where God comes and reveals himself to Moses. So I think maybe what's going on in Elijah is he's thinking, okay, I need like this encounter with God that, that is undeniable, right? I need an experience with God that's undeniable. So he goes south. He's like, maybe if I go back to Mount Horeb where Moses met God and God revealed himself to Moses, maybe I can have an experience with God there. And so he, after he's refreshed, he goes further south. And the reason I say this is because when he gets there and he's in this cave and he's hiding out and, and he's like hoping to have some kind of encounter with God and, and God comes to him and says this. He's like, what are you doing here, Elijah? Like, really? <laughs> I, I, like, I, I provided for you, and, and I gave you nourishment, and, and like, now go back home. And he's like, no, I'm going over here. And he's like, what are you doing here? Maybe God's asking you that today. He wants you to just, I mean, he, God's not asking what are you doing here because God doesn't know. Like, where are you, Elijah? It's like he knows where Elijah is. God is God. God doesn't ask that because he's like, wow, I don't, wow, help me out. No, he wants him to have like a self-awareness. Like, do you see where you went? Like how far you've come away? Do you, where are you today? Why are you, why are you in that spot? Elijah responds. Kind of got a rehearsed speech here because he says it twice, right? He's like, I've been jealous for you, Lord. God of hosts, like he says the right things. Like, for sure, I've been jealous for all the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. Well, they all haven't, but you know, I've thrown down your all. I told they, they've all they, they killed your prophets and, and and all of Israel, like they're out to get, and I'm the only one left. I'm the only one left. 
I mean, can you hear it in the text? It's in there. This pity party, right? This self, self-pity. But listen, in the middle, this is the kind of God we have. In the middle of our pity, in the middle of our, our despair and discouragement, God still has more grace. And so Elijah, he wants God to show up in a big way. God, if you just, if you just like make yourself known just in a, such a dramatic, if you just like, if you just show up today and you just kind of move the mountain, right? If you just show up and you just send this great fire, like if you just do something, like God, you just, you just show me you're there. Look what happens. God extends his grace. He calls him out of the cave. He says, Elijah, come out, come out. And then Elijah stood before the Lord. And the Lord passed by in a great wind. And it tore through the mountains, but the Lord wasn't in it. Like a great wind went by and just like rocked it. I can't imagine standing there and watching the mountain crumble. And he's like, and God's not in that. Next, we see an earthquake. There's an earthquake. He's on this mountaintop. I mean, that's a little scary, right? You know, a mountain, an earthquake, and God's not in that. Fire, right? Or, you know, it's like one thing after another, but God's not in that. God's not in that. It's like, no, no. But then at the end of it, he says, instead, after the fire, Elijah heard this soft. See, Elijah wants God to just come on in a dramatic way and show up. And God's like, listen, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. I have something for you. Can you listen? I'm here. Can you listen? And see, I think for us, some of us are, we want God, like, God, just do something big. Just make it clear. Just just, just reveal yourself in such a big, clear way. Like, give me a billboard on 294 that's just for me. Like, you can do that, God. Like, I've been praying about this. And should I stay? Should I go? What should, you know, God, like, what should, just, you can do that, God. Put my name in lights on the Hancock or whatever. And, and, you know, God's like, I'm right here. I'm right here. Are you listening? Are you listening? And see, sometimes we've got so much noise in our lives. And we've got so much going on in our lives that we can't hear his quiet, gentle voice. But he's there. He's there. I'd say more often than not, that's how he speaks to us. Look at the third way that God gives, gives him grace. In this upward path of grace. Bread in the wilderness, a gentle voice. He, third, he gives him a, a new perspective on his future. Again, God asks him, like, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing? And Elijah responds in the same way as rehearsed speech. And, and, and then God says this. He says, go return to Damascus, right? Go back up north, even north of Israel to Damascus. And when you arrive there, I want you to anoint Haziel to be king of Syria, and then I want you to anoint Jehu to be king of Israel, and then I want you to anoint Elisha as as the one to take your place as the next prophet. And and then he says this, he's like, hey, and and I want you to know, like, listen, you're not the only guy. Like, there's 7,000 people 
that still have not bowed to Baal and have not worshipped him. They still love me. Like, you're not alone. And then he goes back north. Three things I just want to end with here that we see in this new perspective for the future that God gives us. By his grace, right? By his grace, Elijah doesn't deserve this. First of all, he gives him a new opportunity to serve. He's like, here's your new mission. Here's what I got for you. You know, I got, I got ministry for you, for you still to do. So, so stop wallowing in self-pity. You know, stop being so, you know, woe is me. I've got a new mission for you, and I want you to serve. You know, sometimes when we serve, in fact, it should always be this way, is that it takes our eyes off of us, and it puts us on other people so we can serve others. And you know by serving others and taking your eye off yourself, it actually helps to encourage your own heart? You ought to try it. I mean, it's like part of the the way out of this is to say, get out of your house and of your bedroom and of your broom tree and go serve someone and see if I don't encourage you. You need to sign up to serve, right? This is a good Sunday to say sign up to serve, right? Some of you need to serve. Some of you are serving and keep doing it. But here's the second thing. He gives them a new ministry partner. He raises up Elisha, who's going to be his successor. And he's like, listen, I want you to have a friend. I want you to be in community. This is not meant to be a solo activity. I want you to do this with someone else. And so he puts Elisha with him, and he wants him to pass the baton to Elisha. Listen, we need community. You need community. We need to be with each other. Yes, to know the Word of God and to study it, but we need relationships. I just, I got to say this, right? So we've got seven new groups starting this fall. Seven new groups, right? I know there's room in those groups for each person in this church. Our prayer is that every person in the church will be in a group because we do this together. You don't go the Christian life alone. Now, okay, I don't want to hear it. Don't isolate. There's love and grace and acceptance here, right? This is a safe place. See, fear, what does fear do? Fear is like, nope. But you, like, you need to be in relationship. You need to be in community. And so he's like, here, I'm going to give you somebody. And I'm like, hey, we need each other. And so I, I expect this week, I'm just going to have a flood of people responding and sign up to say, hey, I want to be in a group. I hope you do that. You can find out on our, our homepage Uh, where it says fall groups. It's not complicated. You can find it. Okay. Number three, and this is, I want to end with this. He gives them a word of hope. See, Elijah's thinking he's the only one. I'm the only one. I'm the only one. No one's left. No one's following God except me. And God says, no, there's 7,000 people following you, following me. You're not alone. And see, we, we feel this, don't we? We get in our schools, our colleges, our workplace, even our neighborhoods, our families. And sometimes when we're really at a low point, we can feel like, man, I'm the only one. I mean, I'm so alone. And God's just like, wait a sec, wait a sec, wait a sec. There, there are a lot of other people here that I got still following me. There's still others that are still following me. And like, I want you to know you're not alone. It's not just all up to you. You're not by yourself. And it's like, wow, that's so encouraging. 
you're not alone here. You're not alone in your situation, your circumstance. You're not alone at home. There are others that love Jesus and want to walk with you in this and are here for you. So here it is, right? When you face great discouragement, when you face great discouragement, God's grace is greater still. There's a guy that, um, man, he faced some great discouragement. 1871 was the Chicago Fire. His son died in the Chicago Fire. He lost a ton of money because of investments and, and the burning of the city. And, and like, man, that was, that was a low point. And you'd think that would be hard enough, right? But, but then after that, he sends his, his wife and his four daughters, he sends them over to Europe to be able to try to start fresh over there. And so they go across the Atlantic, and, and he stays behind. And in the middle of the Atlantic, the boat hits a storm, and the boat capsizes, and all four of his daughters die. His wife makes it. She gets to England and she sends a telegram back that says, I'm the only one that made it. So he goes across. He's like, I got to go be with my wife. I got to just be there with her. And he goes across the Atlantic. And in the middle of the Atlantic where his daughters drown in this storm, he writes this song. And we're going to sing this song in a minute. But the words of the song say, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. Now how in the world do you write a song and say that in the midst of all that happening? How do you do that? Well, you do it because of the words of one who's greater than Elijah. The one who said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, come to me and I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest for your soul because my yoke, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I want you to know this, Jesus said, I am gentle and humble in heart. And so come to me, wherever you're at today, come to me and find rest for your soul. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you are not like us as God. That your nature, your, your very heart is gentleness and humility and kindness and love. And that even when we turn from you, even when we wallow in our own discouragement and self-pity, you don't reject us, you don't wait for us to clean ourselves up, you move towards us and you say, come, I'm here. I'm here, and, and, and I'm, I'm for you. Would you help us just to come to you today and to find rest and peace in the midst of whatever we're facing? Thank you, Jesus.
Amen.